0: Greetings from Podland. This is the Winnipeg WordPod. This is our very first podcast. Today is November 7th, 2007. The first Tuesday of every month in Winnipeg for the past seven years has been occupied by an open mic event called Speaking Crow. Speaking Crow commonly features a local poet, this month, Duncan Mecherdy.
1: There, that (laughs) helps. Good evening and welcome. Hi, my name is Colin. I'm, well, helping uh, arrange this shebang tonight. Welcome to. The November Speaking Crow at yet another new location, the wonderfully warm and book-filled neighborhood bookstore and cafe. (laughs) The fellow with the glasses behind is is Bill Fugler, the proprietor. Uh, He can take care of your tea. If there's anybody who has one of these peculiar tea things and you don't know how to work them... Ask you can make a hell of a mess. (laughs) Uh, Duncan is well. uh, Duncan is the reader that I applied for, so I'll be supplying introductions tonight. Lindsay Wee will be doing her usual charming uh, hosting. She's a little uh, light on her pins yet. I'm I'm going to be doing the initial nattering until she finds herself. Oh, I can't believe I said that. And I'm just up here n- nattering and getting sound levels for Leaf uh, Norman, who has sprung this interesting technological surprise on us all tonight. Namely, this dead microphone, which will record, <laughs> won't amplify a thing, but will catch everything that we, well, say I don't it's yeah this is um, I'm going to um, invite him up to the mic to sort of say a few words about this basically it's he's going to explain what it is and then if there's any of you who signed up for the open mic or Duncan you know as well Duncan's actually cool with it um, you can uh, how about you do that oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's what I was gonna say hey there uh, I'm leaf hey, and the microphone just a prop or it's <laughs> just a prop it's I'm trying to do the very first podcast ever as far as I know, uh, f- about Winnipeg Spoken Word. And this, this is the first one. Uh, Why would you and, say it is? And it is the... F- well, I, okay, it is. The very first one. And uh, I've got... Uh, it's going to be... It's, and I've already got, like, hosting set up with, with Jellycast. Thank you. And uh, so that's going to be searchable on iTunes, and uh, or I'm going to do Speaking Crow, and I'm going to do oh, I don't know, maybe Stone Soup and end on all the slams and whatever I can get my hands on, uh, like a poetry show or something like that, Uh, and uh, compile it all together and put it out into monthly or weekly podcasts. So that's what this dead thing is here, just speak normally from this distance or so, and that ought to be great. Thanks.
1: My introduction, my text of introduction for Duncan um, actually uh, begins with a riddle. Uh, Q, a ghost walks into a blues bar. What happens next? This may or may not be a rhetorical question. Answer, Duncan Mercury buys it a beer. (laughs) Duncan Mercury published four books of poetry during the 1990s, all of them through Pemmican Publications, all of them with Wolf in the title, the latest being 1997's The Duke of Windsor, Wolf Sings the Blues. Blues music, tunes by and in defense of the downtrodden, has always been a big thing in Duncan's poetry. It's matched only by the persistent presence of the wolf, which in the Cree mythos is a spirit of protection and one that can synergize a soul's release from evil. In tracing bits of story along cracked sidewalks of urban aboriginal life, Duncan's poems have held a consistent sorrow, anger, peculiar joys, and a complicated compassion. Quote, mothers of this land, we seek forgiveness. We the protectors of your gifts. We have failed you as there is hunger. Wars rage and children die. Children with bellies distended cry at night with a hunger. A hunger for food and love. That's from mothers. Duncan Mercury is working up another book of poems. He gives story to storytelling workshops. He's a lightly mocked elder within the Aboriginal Writers Collective of Manitoba. He hosts a two-hour music show every week on FM. I don't think I need to tell you what kind of music he plays. Please welcome Duncan Mercury.
2: Thank you. um, Had a chat with Dave over here, who's the one that keeps me on the air. uh, We decided uh, as a collective we're going to do brand new stuff, so I. uh, sat down this afternoon and wrote something and uh, I always start my show off with uh, talking about uh, well, welcoming everybody in our languages and I started looking at the language I was, I was speaking, at the words I was uh, mentioning and I started questioning some of the people, what is does this word meaning, what it's supposed to mean found out it's not. It's pretty close. So this is what I came up with. Tansy! Anin! Bonjour. Sego. Words of greeting, or are they? Strange coming from the same voice, whispered across the land with no one listening. Tansy! How are you? Anin! How are things? Wuzhou, good day. Sago, a greeting of well-being coming from the eastern door and traveled along the rivers and the trails now covered in gravel and asphalt, making its home on the flatlands of the prairies, riding the waves of the lake, mingling with all those other greetings of well-being and safe travels. Old words, older than the land, Greetings carried from the stars, mixed in with other words and phrases I don't know. Yet I have heard whispered on the streets and paths of today and yesterday, slipping in and out of places like the back alleys of Main Street, carried into the north end, and now some are even found in the suburbs. Old words, planting their seeds into new memories, unable to shake free of these words, older than this land, we glance into the shadows looking for their origin. But the picture is shrouded in mist, and the voice is but a whisper, still weak. Nancy, Anine, Boujo, Sego. Ah, but it's much stronger now than yesterday, or even the year before that. The voice is old, the body is weak, the mind forgetful, and the trail is faint. But the, putst- but the footsteps are straight, and do not waver from the path, though the sharp stones rip and tear soles of the feet. Somehow, it is comforting to feel the pain and smell the blood. It means life, these words. Danse, anin, C'est sego. And then this one kind of worked right into that one. <clears throat> worked from this one, I should say. We cover it over with concrete and asphalt. We lay manicured lawns over the scars. We tend to the soil as though it is un- and unspoiled. We erect buildings to hide the sky and the stars. We lock the doors and turn down the lights, giving the impression that only ghosts walk the streets after dark. We never ventured to places where the drums haven't stopped. We know, like you know, that one time at that place where the rivers meet, were burial mounds ones that did not hide the sky or the stars and the soil was nurtured by our flesh and our bones and the mounds beautiful mounds that children climbed as they laid down to count the stars the dead not dead would whisper stories of dance and song and the children did not fear the dark but walked among the ghosts but times changed and so did we We had no time for ghosts or old songs, so we moved the mounds to build roads into the future. We forgot for a time, but ghosts, they never leave. They stay and wait, knowing we can't hide behind the concrete and the asphalt and the darkened houses forever. They wait. Downtown? Maybe. Where the rivers meet? Yes. Beneath your manicured lawn? I am told that there are many burial mounds here, so when you close your eyes tonight, just before you sleep, listen closely. Uh, I did the Brandon uh, Writers Festival, Haber's Writers Festival, a couple of weeks ago, I guess two weeks back, weekends ago now, And uh, they asked me to write about writing and life, so I'm just gonna read a little bit of it, what it means, what writing is for me, and what I write about. I'm a blue-collar writer in a white-collar environment. I'm most comfortable when I am surrounded by people that have lived uh, on the streets, on the fringes of society, folks who talk street. I have been there with them, drank their cheap wine, cheaper whiskey, and warm beer. Been thrown out of some of the finer establishments in Winnipeg and some of the most bourgeois homes of River Heights. But I have never lost my dignity. I've woken up staring at the bars of a local jail after a night of binging, counting the scars and bruises like Count and Coo, holding them out like some prize. I have buried more friends than I care to remember because the pain never goes away. I have listened to debates about the pros and cons of being and remaining Indian in the bars and lounges of urban and rural Manitoba. I have been refused service, evicted, convicted, and judged for every sin imagined and real in the society not of my making. All of what I have just touched upon is only the surface I have peeled back because there is so much more. But I am only giving you a glimpse of what my life has been like to this point. It is also what I write about, but like all the good storytellers I have met, I am only giving a sample of it in my writing. As time marches on, I will reveal more of it, and will not be all pretty, done up in flowery prose, but in the language of the street, because that is where I learned most of my craft. That's only the first part, because we need balance, but we have to pick at the scab first before it will heal, then we can tell our stories, the stories that cook and enthralled us, thrilled us, and filled us with hope and joy. So that was just a part of what I wrote that time. And I'm going to read you one. And uh, Remembrance Day is coming. But this is a little bit more than just that. This is about my my kookum, my grandmother, and also my dad, who didn't approve of what I was doing. It's also a bit of a sort of a goodbye song for Fonessa, uh, the last young woman that was found out in the fields. But I didn't realize that this piece was about that until I reread it. My blood, a rich, deep, dark red, seeps into the ground where I fell, and my story is revealed with each drop. My Kokuma would speak while sitting in her chair, held together with snare wire and electrician's tape. Speaking so low, I had to lean forward to hear the song behind the whispered words, so delicate. I feared that if I breathed too loud, the strands would break and I would miss the the message and the meaning. I watched much later as they lowered into the ground, but my eyes held no tears. My father! fair-skinned Matisse who fought strangers across the sea, a world apart, not knowing their names or stories, but remained with his nightmares and theirs carried inside his mind, released from bondage once a year, when he would weep in the dark, revealing only a small part of himself to me. How he lied to enlist, claiming a nation not his own, not to fulfill an obligation he was not party to, but to calm the rage inside him and the need to see what lay past the horizon and some of his blood, a rich, deep, dark red seeped into the ground far from home. I watched they slid his remains into the fire to disperse in smoke, and my eyes held no tears. My blood, a rich, deep, dark red seeps into the concrete where I fall, and my story is told on a flickering ski- screen but no one listens to my story, and only the words of a stranger who asked no questions or the reasons why, but took the words of a man not there, instead related his version of the truth as he heard it on the street while I lay there with each drop of my blood washed away by rain, leaving only a stain to be quickly forgotten. I watched as he whispered, I watched as he turned away and whispered, I told you so, but my eyes no tears. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, sure. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm also working, uh, doing a workshop at the Urban Shaman, November seventeenth, for the youth. <laughs> <laughs> I throw that in. Kept hearing it at the uh, Brandon Writers Festival for the youth. <laughs> I think that's North End talk, I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, um on November 17th from 9:30 uh, to 4 o'clock, I'm doing a writers workshop. And that'll be for the 15 to what is the youth age these days? 29? <laughs>
3: God, man. 39. <laughs> yeah.
2: So 15 to 29, so if you're interested. Uh, oh there's free food yes there's free food just email me i'm taking names down i think i got about eight or nine so we we got room for about 20 between 20 and 25 so
4: i'm uh i'm lindsay and i'll be hosting hi and i'll be hosting the open mic part but first we're going to have a a five minute uh by food support the establishment uh smoke if you must or if you really want to (laughs) break (laughs) and we'll be back in five Okay, it is uh, it is good to see you all for the first set of the uh, Speaking Crow open mic. Thank you again very much to Duncan for being our featured reader this evening. Uh, you can hear me, right? No? Doing as loud as I can. The general rules of the night, we do have kind of small rules, so, you know, me being a force of order at all. Uh, uh, they're not too crazy, but it's basically, uh, I think we sort of full, not too much. We'll see how things go, but we're looking at... Three minutes, which sounds very short, but it's actually not that short. Believe it or not, believe me or not, actually. Uh, so give or take, um, but if you if you give too much, uh, you will hear this sound a little after three minutes. That's the like gentle, the gentle Santa grandfatherly. Please wrap it up, sound. Uh, and if you like flaunt, if you cruelly flaunt that rule, you'll hear this sound. Ah. Which as <laughs> is a Okay, which is a really fun sound, but that should not let you try to provoke the sound. You can play with the toy later.
5: After that, it's Teletubbies. <laughs> After that, we just charge you. We all, yeah. Okay. New contest. I think we should name
4: that. You can name the sound uh, later. <laughs> okay.
3: okay, I'm gonna get the sheet now.
4: Our. Uh, See, it's tempting to go behind the microphone, but you can stand over here if you want, it doesn't matter. Uh, so our first reader of the evening is, uh, is Colin Smith.
1: This might be uh, my contribution to Remembrance Day. It's the beginning of a poem called Chasing My Father's Narrative. At the age of 42, an open cast viewing. We'd like Ike and Deef to fuck us. I was really attracted to his smugness. We had a master-copy relationship, censoring booze, tobacco, nudity, body parts, and underwear from magazines for U.S. troops in the Persian Gulf. This is the same mentality that complained about a naked toddler floating through Maurice Sendak's in the night kitchen two decades ago. He worked as an electronics technician with a bunch of young hockey players who would later be the nexus of a cup-winning edition of the Boston Bruins. The best thing about fucking an engineering student is killing him afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) An oral understanding. He would roll up his minced beef, mashed potatoes, and two vegetables in a big studded ball, then consume it with elaborate dexterities of knife and fork. I laced intestines across the road to discourage the populace from thinking too much about land reform. Mom was sedated on the spot and cried a measure of relief. For celibate, read, celebrate. Gun for the whole family. Winning their marts and hinds, if the l p was ninety nine cents, he'd buy it. His ghost snored the <laughs> horror film's final image is Ma and Pa hunkered over the carcass while saying, "Times change, values don't A helicopter dispenses weather narratives and bullets named to whom it may concern. In a rough economy, stick to the battering husband. Trickle-down money equals eat my shit. That's it. Sorry about the rhyme.
6: Thank you, Colin. (laughs) Set the bar real low.
4: And our, uh, our next reader up is, uh, is Jesse D. Harms. I didn't know it was a D, actually. Jesse D. Harms. Come on up.
7: See, I'm half deaf. I really like the microphone, but...
3: I'm kind of miss it.
7: <laughs> All right. Sentencing room number two. You are lost in your imagination. I don't mind. I like the color of your blinds. Thin light blue flutters. Your ego is as big as your breasts, always pushing me out the door when I arrive. (laughs) Some thresholds must not be crossed, no matter what the stars say. But don't let me be private. I don't feel like being polite. Let's decorate your room, your hallway. Let's hang full wine bottles from your ceiling and put some dents in the walls for effect. This is not history, this is going down right now. I am working on a cross-section of your dresser. Each drawer is filled with your underwear, and I am getting excited about showing you the final draft. This is your room. You live here, constantly drawing yourself as a new muse, and the rest of us are models for the tiny statues you've placed in the corners. See, I love your legs. Is it going on like this? The air is filled with words, all of the sentences we drop as we crash in mid-flight. I heard on the radio the place is condemned. There is yellow tape outside. You were convicted of keeping your body to yourself, while I froze keeping my tormented vigil on your lawn. (coughs) The ladder is not an escape going up or down. The entrances and exits on this stage are not for us to use. They are reserved for the slaves of other religions. I cannot sleep, and I know you are ignoring my whisk- my whispers. You are tired of arguing about who said what the blades of moonlight have withdrawn, and know God accepts sacrifices at this hour. But all of this goes to show how much I think of you, locked up in your very own sentencing room. Thank you
4: Thank you jesse um there's an in-joke here but I think it's a very small crowd who will get the in-joke and I'm not in that crowd, so... <laughs> the next reader is, um... POV Brain?
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm crazy. laughs>
3: Brain.
8: Sorry about that, yeah. it's uh, that's POV Brain, yeah. <laughs> Um, I had this like intro writ- read written and stuff, but I won't read it because that my time is ticking away. Um, this poem I'm going to read is something I did at the. Oh yeah, I have to take this off because and um, in, in the true spirit of the slam, I, I'm not allowed to have any props. So um, this is a piece I did in Halifax at the at the slam there as part of the Winnipeg slam team. So uh, thanks. <laughs> Um, okay. Hey baby, greetings from Halifax. Though I'm starting to feel I have no right to be here away from you based on the sayings of that little making voice that's always white lying around the base of my brain case, darkening all the exit points so dazo lazily. Pardon my half-assed French. Although it's only a microfissure I've heard about a racial rift here that's giving me an almost glacial grip on the grey matter I barely take with me wherever I go. I'm starting to get a little white hot headed and that, from only 32 samples of over six billion voices all focused on injustice. But Halifax, sitting pretty as a portrait of a signal hillside by that huge halide mirror outside, is starting to blow hard as if the storm in my head is escaping and building. And although I'm ready to snort some joke off that reflexive turbulent surface out there, echoing echoing my mains frame, first I'll need a hat so I can actually see what I'm writing. As if writing while smoking on the front steps of this hostel called Heritage will heal me of the hostilities inherent in our technically human makeup. So I go to Funkin' Joy Balls, or is it Junkin' Foibles, and learn that I'm actually trying to sit and write on one of the cross streets of the windiest intersection in this town. It takes me back to you in Winnipeg, where Portage and Main is the windiest in North America. But I hope this flashback to you doesn't affect my first cross draft. Things seem to have gone backwards the way of the slam in Chicago, the other windy city, the year prior to that inaugural CFSW, where Canada first showcased its vocal spectrum as greater than that of America in Ottawa. And you? I mean, Anatoa? pardon my japanese i learned it from howard but i'm talking to the Anatidae, the ducks i want all in a row so they can file out of my mind like a tourist snapshot of natural order and feed on the free bread i've cast on the water it's the racial divide that's making me break the word hatred in two and what i'm left with is one my new hat and two, the realization <clears throat> that seeing red sometimes depends on what you've read onto someone else's other colored lips. And though we're all mad as mad hatters at a tea-for-too-many party, it's all about the piece, the making and breaking of it, the two spellings of it, and how you pull it like a habit out of your ass.
3: <laughs> and I know
8: I'm talking through my medicine hat when I mention one of my sons attending college there as if to heal from the wounds of a father he almost had. I've gone inside now, I'm writing in my favourite room, the one with the TV, and someone's just started playing Godzilla about post-war lizardry, like a thriller from about 1200 miles northeast of Manila, like a monster who appropriated the splitting of the atom to become his country's mascot. I'm starting to think in terms of harakiri, and although they call you Maratu for your freedom fighting frenzy against the Ethiopiates of the dominating masses, I'm the one who's crazy for thinking he has any right to be here. My hat's off to you, baby, and I'll halifax you my ass before I have it handed to me. <laughs> while flirting with not getting while flirting with not getting my first maritime penalty, it's a good day to die on stage to go kamikaze, if only because it means divine wind. If I survive, I'll go somewhere and order the oppressed duck in honor of my ancestors who were burned like witches for not floating or for just being my ancestors, and hope I don't go into anabaptist or halophilactic shock because my hair day has entered that gray area just for some variety. But you should see my new hat. I'm not the fashion expert you are, and I hope no one makes a federal case out of it just because I think it makes me look kind of fedorable. Last thirty seconds. But if you think,
3: <laughs> but if you think it makes me look fake and
8: pretentious, I'll have a double portion of the tofu you serve and wish the hat, soya nara.
4: <laughs> oh, we love you even though you brazenly flaunt the rules. Oh,
3: there's
8: more.
4: Uh, and our next reader up is John Cunningham
9: how not to view a heron out for the afternoon we drove through Salkirk along number nine highway neglecting the left to bend to Gimli to your father's home we drove straight past the Métis settlement tiny shacks dotting the reds west bank past the pink blooms of smart swamp weed and brown cattails blown open to the end. We wandered through the campground, past the sign that said, Keep Out, taking that as an invitation to explore. Peered into windows of the resort office closed for the season, sighted the observation tower to our left. While I wandered along the shore of the man-made estuary, looking among your rocks for life, you climbed up and from your airy called down to me to join you. I climbed up, and we enjoyed the view together, looking over the tops of spruce and aspen. I returned to earth while you remained, up there in your lofty nest. And it was then we saw the great blue heron fly, you from above and I from below. You didn't see the fish writhing in its beak. Now for a change of pace, balmy beaches of Churchill, Manitoba. Churchill, where mercury dropped... Pardon me, Churchill, where Mercury develops Alzheimer's at zero and forgets how to rise. Where the sun shivers from the cold and gets lost for long stretches. Where gutless trees quiver beneath golden fuzzy fen moss and lichen. Yet, 10 types of orchid blossom in the brief summer. And bears the size of icebergs come into town to dine at the local greasy spoon, then get put up in penthouses awaiting a lift home, all without spending a dime. Rumors of warmth have been spreading amongst the trilobites and brachiopods hanging around the local museum, so polar bears have started taking swimming lessons at the local Y. Because the fast ice that used to gather at the shore, smoking cigarettes and whistling at the seals during their mating rituals, has gotten slow in coming, or sometimes not at all, and the seals, embarrassed by the icy inattention, have moved out to the bergs. Trees have suddenly started coming out of hiding. Screaming it's time they grew up and got some cojones. And orchids have been overheard talking about a floral insurrection. Worse yet, much worse yet, the Arctic sun has been seen in Kmart purchasing Bermuda shorts. That's my poem about uh, global warming. (laughs)
10: so loud. I'm happy when there's no mic. (laughs) Okay, this one is called Stuffed. We are sitting at my aunt's kitchen table, and it is groaning and growling something like my bloated, taut stomach in which salad, cabbage rolls, pierogies, chicken, pickles, jelly, and fresh bread are sparring with acid and bile and each other to see who will be the first to start the long slide toward digestion. Do you want pie? Oh, I'm full, so full, I can't eat another bite. Oh, you don't like pie? I have some cake in the fridge in the basement. No, no, I'm just stuffed, but it's too late. For she has already toddled off down the stairs to the fridge that sits there in the cool airless basement watching the hard blue couch and the white lace doilies and the fake walnut television with rabbit ears and my aunt's husband who likes to turn little girls over his lap and pinch their bums. (laughs) Okay. And at the basement seemed to be the theme here. In another era, in the basement on acid, because of what happened to her in the previous poem, uh, she is 17, staying at a friend's house, lying there, unable to sleep because she's in the basement on acid. <laughs> she thinks she has just, just discovered something, visualized, dreamed, though she is awake, the ideal situation, maybe an hallucination, like somebody suffering from schizophrenia in a happy way. She is sitting on the porch, an Appalachian hillbilly-type porch, in a rocking chair, smoking a corncob pipe. There are no shotguns, not even a jug of moonshine. But she is in the basement where there's no toilet. So she creeps up the stairs past her friend's parents' room. And just at that very moment, her friend's father opens the bedroom door on his nude way to the bathroom, too.
3: (laughs) Okay.
10: Okay. See, aren't you glad I didn't bring my history poems Um, this time? White Gloves. Little girl, used to wearing brown lace-up ankle boots, sturdy, sensible, can't help but stretch out her hands, admiring her tidy white gloves, fluttering her fingers, enchanting, enchanting, elegant like birds, like white doves, as she, along with her family, treads the long flight of steps up the double doors of the Greek Orthodox Church, the one on Main Street there. An older cousin is about to wed, and she teeters, almost falls back, as she glimpses the sun glinting off the golden onion domes and spires atop that holy building. And years later, she'll attend another wedding. A female cousin, the only blonde in the family, hair swept up, teased, spun, shining onion dome. Thank you. I've never had the, uh
4: I like the instinctive people do when the bell starts.
3: <laughs> no, no.
4: I kind of think the clock might be, like, it looks like it's going faster, but it, why would a clock go faster? It doesn't, so... Uh, thank you, all. Next up is the, uh, is the dynamic duo, <laughs> which is the cheesiest line ever, and they're already setting up, of, uh, of Dave Street and Christoph Engbrecht. We are getting a very special poetry performance, uh, and you'll let us, I won't ring the bell for a while, because their combined time should, you know. what? Well, we kind of have a birthday clause, but we never really formalized as a birthday clause. So you can turn your
11: in that general direction. You should hear.
1: Remember amongst yourselves. Rubar, 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 rubar.
0: I should probably explain what's going on here. Christoph Engbrecht and Dave Street, uh, two members of the uh, poetry, I guess you could call them a slam-punk organization or something, uh, Tree is what they're called, um, at their live performances, they improvise poetry by pulling out old, vintage typewriters, mm-hmm. banging away on them. We get to hear what they're doing, we get to watch what they're doing. The, uh, the sounds of the keys make uh, kind of like a percussive John Cage-like mm-hmm. song. And then they read uh, what they wrote after uh, a few minutes of uh, this click clacking away. And, uh, that's what they do next.
11: <clears throat> you watch the island farthest. Lips from his rhubarb. How the silhouette of the gold mine. His rhubarb shirt. Piss. Stained. Blood. The previous evening. Into the August sky. Beats. It is the jackpine. Internal bleeding. And in you are. With enough wine to forget. Stand ashore boots before you get back in the kayak. That you are birthday. And spit at the jack flesh snout. The night before, raise, hug your cousins, raised, not raise yet, pause under the spider. sink with hands in duet. What? On the bread crumbs, mm. duct tape with an oven mitt. Crumbs E394, dreaming of a pony five, six, seven, five, six, nine, five, six, nine, and that angel. Three of four dust, unplined, and you, unplined, as you must, your room, five, six, climb to the window with a queen size hole and wait for the taxi in the and look between the trunks of where all the previous spirits of two spruce, Francois, was beginning never. And watch out for the whale of bounds and <laughs> <waves>. <laughs> wall <laughs> Thank you, Gregory. And everyone can
3: buy
4: Christophe a birthday beer later birthday tea (laughs) that's kind of boring though uh our next reader up is andrew eastman
12: all right so the first one i'm reading i wrote last night till about six or morning i guess six in the morning so it's still a little rusty and i'm really tired so okay it's called grandma's grandam grandma's grandam takes two tries to wake we all clamber headfirst over the back seat's black leather upholstery into place. Buckle up. Grandma's grandam clunks lazily into first gear. Our tight grins align right across the rear window, obstructing Granny's already blurred vision. The wild flicker of her eyes in the rear-view mirror returns to us a toothless, youthful grin. Here we go. Grandma's grandam yawns to reach sixty clicks. We manually roll down all the windows, allowing the wind to sweep our mess of bangs over our squinted lids. The destination is pointless. We came only for the ride. Are we there yet? I hope not. Grandma's grandam forgets to signal, taking a left. An internal push slams us against the door on the right, our bodies accordion together as we release wheezing laughter. Snapped back into place, we try to recover from the thrill, only to be treated to another signal-free turn through traffic. Hold on. Grandma's grandam lulls back into the driveway. Our heels tumble on solid ground, though we're no longer flying with Granny through the city. Under a blanket in the garage, Grandma's grandam lays still, rust eating away at its broken-down body, waiting to be revved again by our memory of her. Um, The second one is called Urchin. You Urchin. Sunk into the night-deep liquid of our city, we let you in, now return the favor. Behind your prickly remarks and stiff requests you hide, lurched along with trash and sediment, you ride the waves of our effort, tossed out. But there are surely stranger things to gawk at, lurking in the murky depths of the underworld, howling at the full moon's pull, or parading themselves for the jaws of barracudas. Somehow you survive, Every night a struggle, against rapacious companions and harshly cruel elements. Churned and drugged under the drag of the current, you resurface near the shore each morning. Lost in the unknown alcoves of illuminated tide pools, washed over by bright corals and scuttling crabs, we take no notice of your sadness. And the last one is called Instinct. Continuous psychical stimulus flowing through me from primitive survivalist intuitive notions passed on via communal unconscious societal language held constant by genetic ecological logical science forcing me to eat fear hate fuck leaving me with shame guilt pain death to pass on to you
4: Next uh, reader is
3: Sheldon
13: Thomas. Okay, the first one's called "The Road Beyond Me." The roads amble parallel, almost touching, though never to intersect. I see that now. Never to join to form a highway, a highway of loving, giving, sharing, of reaching for the stars. My road is at most times barren, the asphalt slightly worn, the loneliness conjuring up visions of sagebrush bowling balls down an endless windswept alley. You cruise along on an autobahn to the heavens, the world at your feet. You're like Jesus trying to heal the sick and infirm, their desperate hands clawing at you for a magic elixir to cure their ills, while you petition to extend the day beyond 24 hours. I know that I'm only a fringe candidate for registry in your circle of life, one of the fortunate few to survive the purges, a member of a select audience. Illusions of a backstage pass have drifted beyond the floodlights, onto the wind, falling to earth at the edge of a yearning forest. My road will never take me far from you. In body, in mind, in spirit, I will always be within reach. And this one's a uh, Stream of consciousness piece. piece called uh, Shower. Abstract assholes wait for noon through the nose of the archbishop and his scintillating reverie without a care for the egocentric eagles that fill the pots of the poor and fill the pots of the few who come home empty-handed on the dawn freight trains of heaven's worshipping pranksters without feeling, without seeing the message from the Carson legacy of I did not know that through the empty lives of bushy politicians in their frocking coats of varnish in the dead of night of a hallucinatory nightmare compared to revolting cocks and cocks revolting in the grey day parade of random sampling of fever blistering cake boys <coughs> whose junky friends frequently use up the icing sugar for pancakes, waffles, and extraordinary madness the likes of which have never eaten gravy before. <clears throat> before sunrise, down the aftermath of anything pure and simple. Will I step out of the shower and start all over again? Thank
14: you. I wrote this one uh, after my father died. All I see in this mind's eye is a stormy sea. The gulls overhead are all now black. I know what they mean. I know what they have for me. An aircraft saunters into view. They all look like they might crash any day now. Body parts flowing easily, which may be because they're all loose now. Never really happens. Just as well, all these thoughts have me destined for a fellow's only last hurrah, and my ribs now ache from the ancient ribs once taken. This is called The Straw Drawn. There was a time, really not too long ago, when innocence lost during Elvisian pelvic thrusts were tantamount to Satan. It happened a happier time yet paternalism ran rampant, ran askew. I'll never ask how it happened. We all know. We all knew. Perhaps it started with Spiro Agnew. Each generation, as Mike and the mechanics say, blames the one before. But life's born crosses should force us to our knees, clothes not tattered nor torn, to give chestily heaved release of butterflayed guilt. We have it all right out there just beyond the grasp of lingering fears unfairly laid in our parents' lives' paths. Welcome to the new way. Bradshaw, Buscalli, and a few others say our family are those who love us. We can only save ourselves, save our own selves, save our own lives to be any good leaders to a better tomorrow. Started yesterday, not tomorrow, not with sorrow. And the infrequent wave hits me in the pit of my soul from time to time to a regular time, thud. Charity begins at the home, helping others can only be good if we take our hearts into our own hands and cherish them like that of a lover to be holden in the glory of of that moment, like the wounded, slimid tie, I'm sorry, like the wounded, sly, timid, standoffish fox. The true straw dogs once forced to make their fears known, have always risen to the occasion, shown their true colours, stood up to be counted, defended the undefended knew it would attack to offset the eminent one to come. The meek shall inherit the earth, it is said, but only the straw dogs are not so easily misled, easily skirted. Only the straw dog will be there when it mattered most. After the rats fled, the listing ship drifting in from the safety of their own wilderness to attack the attacker, having been forced into this. And thank God for that.
3: Our first writer. Our first writer
4: of set number two is, uh, is P.C. Miller. coming oh, oh,
5: up. Well, 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 well. Brand new. <laughs> Wrote it when I got here. Eulogy. The application of dying. Wit becomes my parable of survival. Under this moon, beside this tree, where I intend to pee. And enjoy myself as the train passes over its trestle nestled to one side I honestly cannot recall the moment my wit died but left to mourn are strangers who now only see my sorrow this tree and I will meet again below this train tomorrow Elegy I broke into your restaurant to find you lying still, playing dead, face down on aisle five, below the basket of peppers, above your shadow, only an outline from the fluorescent foldings. I hadn't come to rob you, I only wanted to say goodbye because the email you sent, obviously not in haste, left a bad taste, an unfinished poem from an unvalued voice, bruised and angry, left dancing alone in a death row of pain and condescension. This eatery has a menu, though it cannot be sampled today, at least not until I leave. And you can finally open one eye, gently find a smile, and breathe.
6: Uh, piece of work that I'm doing is called Alternative Moonlight Zone. And it's kind of like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> and it was part of this um, you know, kind of writing plays experience. Uh, it involves two women. Uh, I guess one of, one of them was me and then one of them was my friend. So I kind of had a memory of this and then pushed it into this Moonlight Zone which kind of turns out to be the future where um, as it turns out the white shamans have taken over and uh, again they're persecuting you know native people and uh, I guess a little bit of that will um, will come out on this except well yeah when Indians are not being Indian enough for them they send them to a kind of treatment center which is the museum. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> this is a little <laughs> bit about what it's about. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the character Kara wakes up uh, because there's you know, garbage cans rattling in the back lane, and she, that's when she meets her, her friend, uh, who's called Frona. Kara, I can hardly get any rest because of this Windigo town. They have altered my whole world concept of self. Frona, whatever you do, don't diss them. They thrive when we bitch and moan. So what did you score today? More garbage? And Frona has this big backpack full of objects that she's found. So Kara comments, just symbolic remains of a degenerate, decadent, and diseased society. You should be careful. You might get stuck with a needle or squish a used condom. So Frona says, ugh, double ugh, triple ugh. Duperl, salchow, salchow, triple, toe, loop, extreme ug. So Kara says, Stop talking, squaw. I told you before not to act so backward. You don't listen. Pay attention or they will. So Froen says, Leave me alone. You keep putting me down just because I don't have a place right now. So I'm homeless, but that's not hopeless. I'm happy on my own. So they I guess the scenes um there's a a bit of a flashback to when uh Corona was married, um to his usual a horrible husband and <laughs> and uh Kara remembers trying to contact her. And uh I guess Frona remembers, he wouldn't tell you how his squaw went squaw. At least he wasn't a total racist. He did love me at first. So Kara says, I didn't ever expect to see you here. What got his old gotchies in a knot?
3: <laughs> he said
6: you had no skills and that you took off. Frona. Did you check the cupboard? I like to hide next to my Tupperware collection. They had great jiffy seal. He couldn't get me or make me come out when he called out for me, as if I acted like a real Indian in a cupboard in those days. (laughs) And then she continues, He figured me out. I had to escape from the cupboard and run to the sink and jump into a dirty cup. He never washed dishes. I was safe there.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
6: Anyways, they g- go on about uh, what's well, actually. This is sort of weird. Where Kara says, "Rave on, lady! I just wanted to. I just wanted to get married and and not get an education. Get my Mrs. degree." <laughs> And Prona goes on about how she, you know, again, her perils with the husband. Well, I built a fort in the toilet, too. I could defend myself from, with the plunger. He was such a shitty husband anyway. <laughs> I slept with a knife under the bed even after I left. I used to sneak one in a beat-up teddy bear when he was around. So Kara says... I bet that's why they told you you were a crazy bitch Indian. There are not enough shelters for us crazy bitches. So this is where the scene changes. I don't know, sort of like one of those sirens goes off. It's like they're caught. And the scene is in the um, museum where the exhibit is called Bravehearted Woman with Squaw. (laughs) Kara's in a thong, and and she's wearing a chief headdress. Beside her is uh, Sinfor- Brona, who's in a buckskin dressed. She's also puking her guts out. Kara. Get over it. You had to kill that buffalo. It was stampeding toward the teepee. <laughs> Brona. I tried to tell him where the buffalo jump was. He took a wrong turn. Kara <laughs> says, why live only in the past? Our great future is ahead. White men will discover us and want us to be their squaw- squaws. We'll have kettles and cutlery, and anyways, that's that part of it. And I guess there was only one other line here. Maybe it's um, where they're. I guess it's just near the end here. Um, about their, you know, their problem with the shamans. Um, I guess it's just that uh, they they rescue a a rattle from a a pawn shop and uh, this is what delivers them a bit from this uh, problem with the white shamans always, um, I guess, having them under surveillance. So they end this whole thing by um, a particular chant called uh, Shaman Chanted Evening. (laughs) We'll be chasing moonlight across the starry skies, not even. Thank you. <laughs> and please do
4: come back next month uh, to the same place, uh, same time, same time,
1: 7.30? Yeah, should
4: we? Hurry, 7.30, good for you. Yeah, no? Okay. 7.30, first Tuesday of next month. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Uh, next up is, is it Megan? Maegan. Maegan? Can you say your last name? Linklater. Oh, okay, I would said Linklater right then.
15: <laughs> <laughs> Muskeg trees. Pine trees dried out, dead, huddled together in the distance, whispering to each other. A graveyard. Deathly white, unburied skeletons leaning slightly, their roots sunk deep in muskeg, sheltering, birds, bugs, life. One's called Running Together. A horse waiting in the pasture for her willing to run as far and fast or slow and easy as she wants. I feel her anger hurt of what I did. I can't change the past, but I can change the future. We run alone, glancing at each other through the fields. But when we meet at the pasture, your actions belie words of running alone as we lope together and join our company. I wonder, will we run together, nudging each other softly like we used to as one? This one's called One Ripple. When we speak to each other, we touch gently dipping our finger, still water, one ripple, avoiding emotional waves. The last one here. It's called Walking Together. I was thinking, do you want to walk the earth together? We'd have to make sure we have good shoes. (laughs) Enough water and food to last the journey. I'd like to walk down a dirt trail, snaking back and forth beside a lake. So when the sun smiles on our backs, we sink below the waterline, refreshed to continue walking. I know a place I want to share with you that you have never been to before with me. It's going to take the day to walk there. I'm happy to listen to you teaching me about the plants, roots along the path. I'm happy to share with you stories taught to me. So that when we reach our destination, I know who you are, and you know who I am. As the sun sets, and you are warm, nestled within my arms, as we disappear into the stars above the earth. Thank you.
4: Is I say your name right that time? Maegan. 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 Means wolf. Uh, thanks, Trevor. Trevor Next <laughs> <laughs> up, Let's Trevor Graves.
16: thing about My Ingen there is that it... I, I phoned the, uh, the Writers' Collective one time while we we're part of the Aboriginal Writers' Collective, and they said they just finished talking to one of our members. Oh, they already sp- yeah, I talked to a Mike Indian.
3: <laughs> I'm there.
16: We have no Mike Indian in our group. Uh, Mike Indian. Mike Mike Indian. My, My Ingen. Yeah, that's the name. I love how we can come together. But anyways, you know, I notice we sort of kind of have an aboriginal block in there, the blockade <laughs> happening here, so I'm continuing that trend, but, but with me, you know, I, I don't write about any of that kind of stuff. Uh, this one came out of when I was talking to uh, David McLeod, who left earlier, he's another member of our group, and uh, he said to me, oh, are there going to be bikers at the poetry reading? <laughs> so this is a poem for Dave since he left, bikers at a poetry reading. <laughs> My misguided poet friend says, I hope there are no bikers at the poetry (laughs) reading. Why, I ask. I had a bad experience in the prison for poets. Oh, is that when you were busted for riding around like Pavarotti in beetle boots? (laughs) This biker, when we were there, he would come out and say, This is going to be some heavy shit, man. And then he would pull out a piece of paper and crap on it. (laughs) Where is he now, I ask. Oh, he's on a postmodern tour with that woman who throws herself on broken glass. <laughs> I just shake my head at his oligarchical need for exploitation. Spartans are fine at reading, but when the Hell's Angels show up, man, look out, there goes reading. <laughs> So as oddly as would have it, today is my birthday as well. Happy so, birthday. so I, I was. I, Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. birthday but but you know what, now I'm 43, so I'm wondering, well, can I still say I'm in my early 40s, or is that the mid 40s range now, or do I just say 40s? You're just a kid. All over the hell.
6: you can say late 40s. So, so anyways, I, I I
16: call this one uh, reflections of an Aboriginal writer, even though there's nothing about here about being an Aboriginal. It's not the middle age words written on that mirrored face. The contoured lines of etched living, joy, sadness. And this is what happens when you work as a freelance writer, is that sometimes I have to do casual labor. So last year, I worked a day in a a lumberyard, restacking the tumbled-over shingles. There's this woman where she's flirting with me, and she's the one who's marking down how many shingles I pile up and which ones we throw away. I tell her, I'm in my 40s, you know. She looks down, then she looks up smiling. My mom is single. <laughs> well you were a shingle guy. <laughs> 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 next uh next up is Shayla Elizabeth.
4: Shayla, is that right? Yeah. Okay.
17: Good evening. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. And uh, I must admit, I am totally behind sound recording. I honestly thought the sound engineer would have a mic, a uh, headset. I'm like, really want to know like how this is working and what where it's going to. But it's all good. Um, Duncan had sent out an email via my and it's like, let's put together the tattered remains of the Aboriginal Writers Collective. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm not
3: tired.
17: <patterned. laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "It's fall.
3: <laughs>
17: it's fall and winter now. It's storytelling <coughs> season. We've got to tell our stories." So this is a work in progress about kind of urban storytelling, and it's called uh, "Concert Memories." Present time slash late October eighty-seven BC Place, Pink Floyd. We got the tickets! One phrase. Four of some of the sweetest words around. Phone calls between friends. Who's driving? Where do you park? Come again? Flashback. Pot brownies. Sure, come on over to Vi's place. Saturday, we'll take take the afternoon to mix up a couple of batches. You can hear what Steve's band has been up to while we bake. You mean while we get baked. What are you going to wear? I got these new boots I thought I would wear over jeans. Thought I'd try out this red t- top I got. I lost weight. Thought I'd try my new jeans. Who's watching the kids? Oh, for the whole weekend. How'd you manage that? It's party time. Event night. To get in the mood, an afternoon delight. Postcoital Post-coital hoot tucked into you. Showered. All done up, meeting everyone at Watering Hole. You gotta check this one out. I heard it's real good. My brother came over to hear that Seattle group. Yeah, I heard all about that show. A new band or something. Munchies. A drink. A couple of shooters just to get in the right headspace. Meeting at the agreed Upon Point. Fuck, parking was a bitch! How'd you guys get in so early? We parked under Portage Place and walked over the causeway. Damn, gotta do that next time. Flashback. Rumor has it they're gonna have security at every gate with pat-downs. What does that mean? That means you girls gotta suck in your gut and put a Mickey down the front of your pants. What? My brother's security somewhere else. He says they're all going to be new people since this is the only second show here at BC Place. And even if they have worked concert security before, nobody's done a gig that seats 55,000 people. My brother says that since nobody knows what the security limits are, (coughs) nobody wants to be first. So all the guys will barely touch the girls. That's why you're curing the liquor. (laughs) But you set a pat down like this. Oh, okay, I see. Oh, okay, this is where we're sitting. That wasn't so bad. Look at where, how close we are to the stage. But I thought Bowie's show sucked, and he's a pro. Trust me, Pink Floyd puts on a good show. Not hear, but feel the bass line from the soles of my feet to the top of my head. So, of course... Stand up, like everyone else around me, even though we're on the floor. Five rows back from the stage. Pink Floyd, the first concert band that did a four-day sound check.
3: (laughs) What the hell does that
17: mean? (laughs) What does it (laughs) involve? Is it going to (laughs) work? Breathless, waiting for the first note. Sound registers after the vibration. Stadium erupts! It's Pink Floyd, and they sound just like they are supposed to. My group finishes, finishes a joint. Another one is being passed around. Roger Waters leads to the floor. Vancouver, I love you! Just keep on blowing your smoke this way. Audience roars. Trying to follow a Pink Floyd light show was something new for me. A jumbotron. There were huge speakers all the way around the dome. The song sound, sound started in one, then moved around, being layered, till by the final final speaker on the almost complete circle, it was multi-dimensional. <coughs> right up by the stage, jumping up and down as dancing is almost impossible, riding the music, feeling a male body jumping in time with me. We're all straining our vocal cords, all minds being blown. Feel masculine hands encircle my waist my skirt being rucked up is it you as their trademark song cr- approaches crescendo my panties being pushed to one side a hardness seeking warm wet- wetness a certain move while vocally backing backing up the band and you're in me the drummer pounds away guitars moan as you reach depths I didn't know existed and you me Pink Floyd, all reaching climax <laughs> in perfect time. Perfect constant memories. Thank you very much. <laughs>
4: Thanks, Jayla. I can't totally make this this on. Probably. Sean, I think it's your last name, Besnard? No. Who's number six? (laughs) It's probably you, all right.
8: Sean Bernard. Sorry, I thought I'd be as confusing as possible. Um, This poem I just wrote while I got here, and it's, like, I got a cell phone about a year ago, and even today I still get calls for the same guy, so that's kind of what it's about. (laughs) I'm not the voice they expect on the other end of the line, and after five months of no, this isn't Chris, and no, I don't know how to reach him, I don't know who Chris is, after another seven months of no, this isn't his number, don't call here anymore, after ignoring reoccurring vibrations in my pants, ignoring messages, and never returning calls, I realize that while I have no idea who Chris is, most people calling have less than half a clue what he sounds like, or when I give them advice, like, hmm, well, Dan sounds like a pretty great guy and all, but face it, honey, you're a Capricorn, and he's a virgin. Go. I'm really just reading horoscopes. I'm really reading yesterday's Dear Abby. Thank you. Thanks, John. Uh, next up is Marika Prokosh. Hey. Ah. Okay, um...
18: Wow, this is weird. I've been mocking people, but it is kind of bizarre. Anyways, um, both of these actually are sort of related to stuff I've been thinking about at school a lot, which is basically um, my anthropology class, which is completely different from anything I'm used to, and my English Lit courses, which are making my brain hurt, but are a little more familiar, and they've been sort of coagulating a lot of stuff in my brain. Um so the first one is actually no, neither of them have titles. So <laughs> they're sort of works in progress, it's a little bit different and I don't know if they work, but we'll see. Anyhow. In the lab- laboratory, bodies are picked clean and disassembled for purposes of analysis. Each bone is carefully isolated and labeled. The professor identifies landmarks and draws maps at each nestling of each nestling piece. The naked parts are lined up on long tables, divorced from muscles and nerves and all those vital organs which they embrace. Fumble with your pen, draw a diagram, and forget the long column of his spine and shoulder blades protruding like wings. You cannot dissect him like a dead stranger. Label him in memory and shelve him away in the stacks of your mind, safe from the crowds of vultures in their long white coats. And, right, this one doesn't have a title either. uh she speaks through clenched teeth that muffle and distort her tone call it a defense mechanism and return your hands to your pockets she will stare you down but as your eyes drop a slow burn flushes her cheeks as she considers a body composed of depressions and mounds all the caves that her body is secreting away warm and moist livid the color of bruising when she grins it is a wound that gapes from ear to ear and when she opens herself it is always a confession When you remove your hands from your cavernous pockets, it is a great unveiling, but if she chooses to reveal herself, there is always something that she must give away. Thank you.
19: Hi, hey guys. Uh, English is my second language. I came to this country 20 years ago not knowing a word of it, and uh, I could never imagine that one day I'll start writing poetry that I never cared about in my entire life prior to uh, April 2006. And since I wrote many poems and I am very eager uh, to share them with whoever would will be willing to listen. See, I have still problems in English, and I write poetry in this language. (laughs) Okay, that is the first one I'm going to read tonight. While in her way, I could have had a busy day. Strange woman appeared surrounded in darkness. She looked frightened and very hopeless. She approached me on the spot right there. I must admit, I was so scared. She did explain to me what had happened. I was so doubtful if I should trust her. She looked so helpless and very scared. I had the means to help if I dared. I was so puzzled. I was not sure if her words were honest, true and pure. I didn't have time, much time to decide. She was pleading to take her to the light. I could have left her. I could have say, I'm rushing. I'm sorry. I have busy day. I didn't know if her words were pure, if I should trust her for sure. Then I remembered. I was once her. uncertain, frightened, and very scared. Then I remembered. I was once her. Searching for help in total despair. The darkness used to wrap around me. Someone did share it dared to help me. I knew that instant. I understood I am put in her way, because I can choose. Guide her to lit spot where all fear fades. It took just a moment, my moving hands. It took my goodwill, few or one minute. I knew that darkness, I was once in it. very professionally looking I see <laughs> <laughs> not I'm intrigued by their presence faces that's what I want to see faces that's what I like to observe to watch what makes them come what triggers the nerve faces which tell you more than they intend which use disguise and pretend Faces that push you away, draw to come near, that profoundly saddened, yet shed no tear. Faces that burst with happiness, seem not to worry, which are apologizing, yet don't seem sorry. Faces which say, I miss you, before you're gone. Peaceful, satisfied faces, ready for dawn. I'm glad I simply see them. This privilege to observe them intrigues me. And I wonder, how would it be if they all disappeared or I couldn't see?
0: Thank you. Eve Dutton.
20: maybe one poem every year um, I'm, I'm a prose writer more than a poet and, uh, but I've been writing a lot lately about moving uh, I moved recently and it was kind of a big move for me and so I've been thinking a lot about moves and moving and then I found this poem that I wrote last year uh, which is about moving and I've been working on it a little bit so I thought I would share it and it's called House Warming driving along the highway past the churchyard I catch a glimpse of your new home. I have only seen it once before, this time last year, when I helped you move. It is a small place, cozy really, just a little pied terre. I think one day soon, now that you are more settled, I will visit you. I will bring some flowers as a housewarming gift. I will sit a while, basking in the sunshine and the long grass and the warmth of our friendship. I know that I have not been invited, but I do not think that you will mind. I hope that the move was not too hard, that the garden is flourishing, that the neighbors are friendly, and most of all, that you are happy.
4: It's weird not having the mic to hide behind. Really, I think that's what it is. It's a nice little like little divider. Anyway, I'll stop being socially awkward and uh, and no, not so, now. <laughs> oh, no, I can go on forever. Why? Rosanna, a room full of people who are the
1: same. <laughs> Rosanna's
4: next, yeah.
0: Rosanna Deerchild.
18: A good sense of direction as an Indian person but I'm heading towards that way. <laughs> I just have one piece I was going to sell my extra two minutes to one of my cousins here but uh, I think I'm second last so it's kind of monologue I guess <clears throat> scars mama where did I get this scar berry picking you tripped fell on thorns blood and berry juice everywhere where did I get this one Cut on a piece of glass hidden in the grass. You always refuse to wear shoes. What about this one, skinned knees on pavement, and this climbing trees, here jumping off swings. How many times do I have to tell you to look before you leap? Mama smiles, her fingers rub my scars like braille. Mama reads each one softly.
4: Night and of this set, unless anyone else wants to jump on board really quickly. Speak now or yeah. Crazy.
18: I didn't bring any papers, I'm just gonna read some haikus and hopefully they're in here okay somewhere. <laughs> um, cold and flu season, the world's biggest handkerchief. And a strong wind, (laughs) you. (laughs) And they can't steal your soul. Hung from an electric line, lace-tied shoes dancing. Thanks.
4: That's it. Thank you all very much for having Sleeping Crow. Thank you, Duncan, for reading this evening. And uh, more applause. If you're not on the Writers Collective mailing list, please feel free to to send an email to Cenara, which is Writers Collective, all one word, at uh, uwinnipeg.ca. And uh, otherwise, please do come back here next month, first Tuesday of the month.
0: There you have it. 22 Winnipeg Poets. We'll see you all next time from Podland.